Here's the million dollar question. How do men like us reach our full potential and grow into the men we dream of being while taking care of our responsibilities, working, being good husbands, fathers, and still take care of ourselves? That's the question and this podcast will help you with those answers. My name is Brent and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. My name is Brent and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for all things man, husband, and father. We make content to help men become the men they want to be. And on today's show, we're going to talk about that taboo subject, <gasps> nutrition and health. Because diet and nutrition for men, it seems to be a taboo and difficulty for men in general. Today, we're plugging in with Wellness Underground podcast host, Jonathan McLernan. Jonathan, welcome to the Fallible Man podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And you know, you're absolutely right in terms of uh, the number of clients I have that are male is like less than 10% of my client roster. And so um, ironically, maybe it's not ironic, but women are so much more open to talking about their struggles and challenges than, than men are. And I'd love to change that conversation. Well, I'm hoping to at least, you know, start changing that conversation today on this podcast. Uh, when when we were talking before the show and uh, syncing up to do this podcast, I was looking at your expertise and, and what you did. And I was like, yes, I can finally talk about this. Right? Yeah, yeah. I've told guys, you know, in probably a dozen episodes and on different YouTube videos, you know, we've got to get our health in, in order. Not just, and yeah. we go, okay, that means I'm going to the weight room. No, no, no. We got to start eating better. And yeah. just taking care of ourselves better because it attracts from our abilities as men otherwise. 100% it does. And there, we need to take like a broader view of health. Like it's not just, you know, physical health. There's also mental and emotional health as well. And as men, we're afraid, I think, very often to talk about these topics because we would perceive it to be weakness. Um, but emotions are what make us human. Uh, if you didn't have emotions, you're a robot or you're a psychopath, right? And so this idea of being ashamed of having emotions or feelings is, um, uh, frankly, it's ridiculous. And But it was my own struggles with being a man and my ideas about masculinity that kept me stuck for a very, very long time. Now, now Jonathan, I'm, I'm going to let us run way off the rails really quick here. So <laughs> before we go any farther, I don't do guest introductions because I get to research you guys long before the show happens and get a feel for who you are. And I could share that with my audience all day, but that doesn't actually communicate who you are and why you're yeah. here. So will you tell our audience who is Jonathan McLuhan? And am I saying that right? Am I butchering your name entirely? Well, I, I like to say that if McDonald's had a school and I was a student, I'd be McLuhan. So. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> That's how we remember it. Um, I've had quite a varied background from nanotechnology researcher to being a Marine engineer in the Navy. I'm a four-time entrepreneur with two failed businesses. <laughs> I lost my life savings and also have been a globetrotting English teacher. So it was during my travels around the world that I went from being an athlete to being morbidly obese. And that was a result of trauma I suffered a little over 10 years ago uh, while I was living in South Africa. So that began my own journey of weight loss in earnest. Because, you know, prior to that, I would have thought that anyone who was overweight was just lazy or undisciplined. But after I ended up turning to food as a coping mechanism, because Frankly, I had no tools to deal with my trauma. I found myself wading into this murky world of uh, bodybuilding, weight loss, diet culture. And, you know, after a lot of failed attempts at losing weight and really a lot of time and energy wasted trying to find all the answers in, in the wrong places, I, I had this coach who, who shone a glaring light on the problem that was staring back at me. And that was my relationship to myself. 
So because of all of my failed attempts to lose weight, I've actually really become very angry and spiteful towards my body and myself. I was It was like I was repeatedly trying to punish it into submission. So it was very unusual for me and my idea of men and masculinity when it was a man who worked with me to heal my relationship with myself and by extension, food. This I had this seismic paradigm shift that I could actually treat myself with love and compassion and lose weight. And it really became this monumental shift that changed how I looked at others and how I viewed the struggles of others. Wow, that was a really complete answer. I get a lot of people who get tripped up on that one. They're like, <laughs> you're, you're asking deep questions here. Who am I? Yeah. <laughs> I've, like, I've done this once or twice. <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like it. That works. So Jonathan, in my limited experience, men don't like discussing nutrition in a real way. We blow it off with self-deprecating humor, but we, we don't do. yeah. really talk about it, right? We're like, oh yeah, look at my six pack and roll or, you know, we don't yeah, want to my... talk about it. Why, yeah. why do you, th- is that your experience as a coach? And, you know, tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think because if we're going to embark on a weight loss journey, the first thing we have to acknowledge is that we have weakness, that we have struggles that we're less than perfect. So, but we could think about even from a biological standpoint for men to become vulnerable, maybe historically speaking, was kind of a risky thing because life was a lot more precarious, you know, centuries ago than it than it is in our present 21st century world. So there's kind of this innate resistance for men who are generally speaking wired to be protectors and providers to open up and become vulnerable, especially in the space of other men, because it feels like this, this risky thing. So to acknowledge that we have something wrong with our health or need to correct, we're likely to push it down until we have a major health crisis, until we have a heart attack or until we get that diagnosis that, you know, we, we wish didn't happen. Um, but I, I really believe at its core, it stems from this fear of being vulnerable and afra- being afraid that, that that vulnerability is going to be perceived as weakness uh, when it's it's far from it. We're, we're di- diving in deep water here. <laughs> it's, uh, we're we're going to step on some toes, and make some people uncomfortable because this is a subject yeah. all of us. I, it blows my mind, right? I, I work a nine to five job besides doing this. And, yeah. you know, we, we joke about it all the time at work, right? My coworkers, I'm in the computer industry. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm a cubicle warrior. I spend so much time <laughs> staring at a screen. I hate it. I hate yep. it. It pays the bills, but I absolutely yeah. hate it. And I just watched my waistline get bigger and my muscle mass drop off. And yeah. for a long time, I was trying to stay on top of it pretty well and doing okay. But then I started doing my business on top of working a nine to five job. I'm yeah. also a dad, as we talked about. And, yeah. you know, I, I got a good friend, uh, Dave, he does at Common Man OCR and he is a 30 year experience keyboard warrior and he is on his journey trying to get his life back because it's just yeah. wrecked his body. But we don't want to talk about it because yeah. God forbid we're not perfect, right? Yeah. And so here's an interesting one. Um, you'll hear me speak a lot about compassion. And I think that has to be one of the most misunderstood concepts out there. And I really strongly misunderstood it for a very long time because I perceive compassion to be just a feminine quality or a, a sign of weakness. But, and so my response, and maybe others out there struggle with this, my response was to, to beat myself up, to be critical, to never show myself any love, never show myself, never give myself a break. So then I'll ask the question, if we were to treat a friend or a loved one 
the way that we often treat ourselves, would we have any friends left? Would we have any relationships left? That's deep. It's, yeah. That, that's a really hard uh, thought to yeah. take. Well, maybe, maybe I could throw something in there. Because like, then I would ask the question, well, why, why do we struggle with self-compassion? Right? Why, is it, why does it seem like a hard thing? If we beat ourselves up, that, that's kind of a very masculine response, right? Oh, strong. Oh, punish myself physically, whatever. We can be abusive towards ourselves and we actually have to take it. We can't run away from ourselves. Using ourselves as a punching bag for all of our difficult emotions is kind of like paying the penance for our crimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Then I think as men, like I mentioned earlier, we've used self-compassion as, as weakness and we're afraid to show it because... When we, when we actually identify the things, like we'll all, we might shrug our shoulders and go, yeah, 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 I'm not perfect. But it's like, no, let's shine a light on exactly what your weaknesses are. That will really bring up feelings of worthlessness or lack of self-worth. Um, it will really make us uncomfortable to see ourselves as we actually are. Yet, if we want to change, we, we can't change if we don't know where we're starting. It's like trying to go on a road trip and you go, hey, we're going to drive to New York. I'm like, cool, where are we starting? You go, I don't know. How do you plan it? You can't. And so we have to. And so as a coach, like part of my job, really, my goal here is to create the space where somebody can come into my presence and do, say, a coaching session. And they're not afraid to talk about exactly where they're at because they know I'm not going to turn it around and use it as ammunition against them. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to hold them to account because I look at people and I look at their potential and say, here's what you're capable of doing it. And I want to see you achieve or realize that fullest potential, but I'm not going to use it. And I'm not using it to beat you down because ultimately that does not create permanent change in human beings. And so maybe there's also this fear that if we treat ourselves with compassion, that somehow we'll just stay stuck because it's, but it's rooted in this idea that we have to like punish ourselves to get ourselves to do something. And that by extension is connected to a sense of worthlessness. And so to really have that shift in relationship with self where we see we're not actually worthless, uh, I think that's, that's the start of a really significant change. Okay. I got to ask you the all important question of this entire show. Okay. What is your favorite ice cream? That's a tricky question. I, I love ice cream. Right. Ice cream is a serious subject. There's, there's one out there. I don't know if you'll have it across the border, um, called Tin Roof Sunday. Mm, Yes. I know it well. Yeah, vanilla, chocolate, swirl, chocolate coated peanuts. There's something because I love peanuts and peanut butter and chocolate, but not too much chocolate. Mm-hmm. And so the vanilla really is the nice medium for delivering like that that nice peanut flavor as well as that chocolate. And so really, um, Tin Roof Sunday uh, wins the, wins the day for me. It's a good choice. <laughs> so it's original. I I ask that question of all my guests, and uh, none of them are quite sure what I'm doing when I ask that, but. Yeah. It's, it's a very serious subject we can all come together on, no matter where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I asked it on my Facebook page, if you could only eat one flavor of ice cream for the rest of your life, what would it be? And actually, the most popular answer was very practical. It was vanilla because <laughs> you could then pair it with so many other things. So that was the workaround. And I was like, oh, you guys are being uh, clever here. That, I was going to say, that is pretty sharp. <laughs> but see, if you say vanilla, I'm like, uh, yeah, but which vanilla? Right. Yeah. That's a very important, like for me, it's vanilla bean, right? If you're going to go vanilla, it's vanilla bean. Yeah. I'm not a French vanilla guy. So. Okay. See? There's a key key distinction there. You're you're a cultured man of taste. Oh, yes, yes. Now, deep things. (laughs) You said you're up in Victoria? 
Uh, I, I grew up in Victoria, but I actually now live in, in Red Deer, Alberta. So that's about six hours north of Montana if you drove in a straight line. Okay. I was yeah. going to say, you grew up with Roger's Chocolates, so you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. We have a Roger's <laughs> Chocolate like 10 minutes from my place. <laughs> I Oh, that's like, uh, that's Christmas. Like we still order those and ship them to family as Christmas presents because the chocolate yeah. creams, the orange creams yeah. and peach cream. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting segue because – Sometimes when we think about health and nutrition, mm-hmm. we get in, stuck into this all or nothing mindset. Like I'm, I have to eat perfect. I have to eat 100% clean, never enjoy an indulgence again. And it's like, it's not true. I, last night I had pizza for dinner, but how I ate that pizza was a lot different than how I used to. I was not in competition to see who could eat the most pieces. I was not counting how many pieces anybody else ate. Wait, you've taken away the point of pizza. <laughs> I... Probably drove some people nuts because I ate my pizza with a fork and a knife. And I I squeezed so much enjoyment out of two slices of pizza, like over the course of 15 minutes. Every bite, I tasted every morsel of it. Because for me, it used to be about eating as much as possible. I mean, I was a binge eating food addict and volume, food volume, like eating until I was so full I could barely move. Whereas after dinner last night, I had two slices of pizza. Now they're pretty big slices. Um, I was able to hop on my bike and go for a ride. I didn't feel weighed down or anything. I actually felt like energized. And so Not this idea that we have to, yeah, the idea that we have to like never enjoy indulgences again, I'm like, no, we just change how we enjoy those indulgences and maybe, maybe change how we use like food. You know, it's not, food is not just fuel. You're, you're never going to hear me say food is just fuel because that's removing all of the emotion from the experience. Mm-hmm. Food is family. It's connection, it's history, it's culture. Uh, travel to another country. You're going to try some cuisine that maybe you've never tried before. I've been to 45 countries. Like there's there's a lot out there that's, and people love to share their history and culture and ethnic foods with you. Like it's, man, it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, you go to another country and appreciate their their food and they would just welcome you in like family. It's, uh, it's this amazing thing. So food is never just fuel. Um, but on the same token, we now live in a 24-7 feast world with a famine biology. We're wired to survive famines. Mm-hmm. And that's how human beings have lived through centuries of food insecurity. We don't, especially in Canada and the US, we don't have famines anymore. <laughs> that's not happening. We're, we're literally destroying crops to keep green prices up. That's mm-hmm. where we're at because we produce so much food. We've got to sell it somewhere. And so a feast world and a famine biology really makes it difficult then we could pile in the fact that we live in a convenience world. We live in a sedentary world. So one where we can achieve everything we'd like to achieve with our smartphone. The, the, the one bit of movement would be getting off your bum to go open the door to pick up your Uber Eats you know, order <laughs> or something. Uh, so losing weight is actually really tricky in the 21st century. We treat it like it should be easy and it's, it's not because we have a primal part of our brain that's wired to seek out comfort. It's, it's wired to avoid discomfort and pain. I'm I'm a southerner uh, by birth. Yeah, my my family is Texan, and so okay. hospitality, entertaining people that that happens in the kitchen. Yeah, the living room is yeah. formal. That that actually barely gets used, but hospitality happens in the kitchen, right? Standing right. around the kitchen, making stuff, sharing food. Hospitality is very food based in a southern household. Yeah, and you know we prize our foods. We have certain foods we just love anyway, right? And most of them are bad for you. 
Well, I mean, I'm thinking like a good brisket, you know? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I just, uh, smoked a brisket for 14 and a half hours the other day. Man. Like I want to be over there for dinner. Right. <laughs> My mother lives with us and, uh, yeah, she, she bought a beautiful brisket and I put it on the trigger for 14, 14 and a half hours. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife's right. Come on down. We'll we'll take care of you out here. As so, soon as the well, I think the border the border is open um, to go south, but uh, across the border they're still they're still blocking you. Uh, you um, what's the word? Lepers? American lepers? <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely bring Rogers chocolates in exchange for a good old Texas brisket. There we go. So let me ask you, uh, because it is food is such a part of culture. I, I try and yeah. I've tried the mindset of food is fuel, right? But food is yeah. definitely part of a uh, big part of culture. And depending on where you're from is even more so. Have you noticed since you coach people through diets and nutrition and helping them make these, have you noticed, cause I, I hear this a lot and I think it's a misconception, but I'd like to check. Are there major differences between the problems in the different, uh, are there major differences in the eating issues between men and women? Because you never hear about men with anorexia or bulimia, right? You you hear about men getting fat, but you don't hear about these eating disorders and stuff like that. So do you actually, like, are there actually big differences or is it just kind of a, we don't talk about it? There probably are uh, slight differences. Um, and that would come from, like, there's still more pressure on the female element of our society their value is rooted in their appearance. There is a biological reason for that. I mean, that's not to say that it's ideal or how it should, how it should be. Um, so there is more pressure. So you're likely to see, uh, and I'm like, without trying to shoot myself in the foot, um, <laughs> if we look just biologically speaking, women tend to have more strongly, uh, stronger connection to their emotions. They tend to be, men tend to have the ability to separate themselves from their emotions which in certain conditions is actually a beneficial thing in maybe the role of protector and provider, but it's not always ideal. So the, the, these emotional differences that we see, um, they do play a role in maybe how we would interact with and, and abuse food. Women are probably more likely to struggle with anorexia and bulimia. I actually just did an episode recently on, on bulimia. There's a lot of crossover between bulimia and binge eating. The only difference is binge eaters don't necessarily vomit it up afterwards. Men are just more likely to be overeaters and potentially um, binge eaters and probably will tend more towards alcoholism um, than women will because it's a more socially acceptable in masculine culture to tend in that direction. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Wellness Unplugged. Uh, yeah, so wellness, wellness Unplugged. The idea is meant to, this is a space for candid, raw, gritty conversations. Uh, we're going to bring on experts with regards to psychology, nutrition, fitness. Um, but ultimately, we also want to tell stories, um, tell stories about people and the struggles they went through. So if you look on the internet, uh, on say Instagram, for example, you're going to see like before and after photos. I started here, I finished here. What you're not seeing is the nuance in between, the struggles in between the parts that were really, really hard. And we want to highlight that with the stories that we tell. So, I mean, I have my own story, my own struggle of overcoming, um, you know, trauma and binge eating and losing hundred pounds. But I want to tell more stories like that because I want people to realize that weight loss, while it's challenging, it's very worth it. But along the way, it's going to be hard. And by sharing other people's stories, we can find inspiration in them overcoming their obstacles. And so 
that's really what I want it to be unfiltered, raw conversations about the human struggle of trying to, to create change. All right. Tell me what is a laptop lifestyle? I saw it in your bio. <laughs> the, the laptop lifestyle is, uh, so I, like I run an online coaching business. I, I can literally work from anywhere that I have my laptop and an internet connection. I could even work off of my phone. That'd be slightly um, less convenient, but very often that's glamorized um, to suggest that somehow people are like sitting on a beach, sipping Mai Tais, a few clicks on their keyboard and money just rolls in. I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Don't we the all inter- wish? Yeah. The internet is a medium. And if we could just remember that the internet is a medium connecting two human beings on either side that may, may not be physically connecting in person. And so still on either side of that connection is two people that are trying to work together towards a common goal. So the laptop lifestyle is fantastic, especially in COVID times. It's really great to be able to work. I mean, my wife and I, last year, we drove across Canada. It was really nice in one sense, not to have a lot of the best places overrun with, with tourists as much as we value tourism in Canada. It was really nice to go to a lot of beautiful places and not have to compete with uh, 10 busloads of tourists. Um, that was that was phenomenal. I was able to do that because I work uh, sort of a laptop lifestyle. I set my own hours. That doesn't mean I don't work. I do work. But, you know, hey, if, if I need to go change a diaper, feed a kid, that kind of thing, I can do it. Um, make my wife, you know, breakfast in bed because she's been up all night with a, a, you know, hungry kid or something like that. So I have the flexibility to do these other things because I don't have to have work set hours, say, from nine to five. So, yeah, it's uh, the downside is a lot of time spent staring at a screen, a lot of time with a butt in a chair. Mm-hmm. And what you can't see behind me, uh, I have I have a, a recumbent bike. And probably every hour, I'll hop off and do five to 10 minutes on the recumbent bike to get blood flowing, to get my legs moving, to get more oxygen to my brain, that kind of thing. Because when it comes to activity and movement, sometimes we feel like, you know, I, I don't have an hour a day to work out. I'm like, cool. If you were to do like 10, five minute chunks over the course of a day, you've done close to an hour, just split up. And so... I look at it that way because I fell into a pattern of, I mean, when here's the thing, when you run an online business, you could literally run it 24 hours a day. It oh, could yeah. feel relentless. It could start to take over your life. And I felt that pressure. There's always more business to be had or made or whatever. So the other challenge is the ability to disconnect. So I try to put my phone away when I'm with my son. He's only six months old. I want him to see me face to face without a phone in my hand. I mean, I want to take a million pictures of him because he's the most beautiful boy in the world. And, you know, in my totally unbiased opinion, <laughs> but I want, I also want us to have human connection there. I want to, I want to sit down and chat with my wife and I want to be present in that conversation where I'm not thinking about work, not thinking about my clients and so on. So it's really, really important to be able to also create that kind of separation. If you do run an online business. We're, we're all about dads and the dad lifestyle here. So. There, you'll get no flack for a biased opinion. I, I've got two daughters who are the most amazing things in the world. So I, yeah, I feel yeah. you there. <laughs> Guys, yeah. we are just getting started with John. So don't go away. We're just barely skimming the surface. We've got more coming up after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Common Man OCR. Common Man OCR is fitness for every man. You tired of being tired? You tired of winning yourself? Just going out to the mailbox? Are you putting on too many pounds because you spend too much time in front of the screen? Common Man OCR is your place for real men just trying to be fit. Buy its merchandise on our website, www.thefallowman.com slash OCR in our shop, or follow him on Instagram and Facebook at CommonManOCR. Real men just trying to regain their health. Fitness is for everybody, including you, so join at CommonManOCR and get moving today. 
Welcome back, guys. We're here with Jonathan McLernan. See, I'll say it right this time, discussing diet and nutrition for men. John, let me ask you, what's one thing in the last year under $100 that you have bought that has had the most meaningful impact on your life? Under 100 bucks. Uh, you know, probably my Garmin VivoFit, which is like these probably has to be one of the simplest um, fitness trackers. And the only thing I use it for is tracking my steps. Because I have this love-hate relationship with technology and I'm like, I don't want them tracking everything about me. <laughs> but being able to see that just allows me to keep an eye on my activity levels or lack thereof. And so I set something called CMGs or can't miss goals. Mm -hmm. The concept is I want to I create a daily habit that's unbreakable. We do that by making it so simple you can't miss it. So I call it a can't miss goal. Because what dictates the success of building or forming a habit is the repeatability. If you set a goal to run 60 minutes every day, you will not build that habit because no. you, unless you're an insane marathon runner, which I'm not. So I actually set my CMG at 5,000 steps. Now, a lot of people say 5,000 steps. That's not 10,000. What's wrong with that? I'm like, well, because to get to 5,000 steps, I have to do at least 10 minutes of deliberate activity every day, even on a rest day. By doing that, I had a streak going of 162 days and nice. that's, that's like the impetus, 166, sorry. The impetus to keep going is like, don't break the streak. Unfortunately, I actually came down with a cold that was not the thing that shall not be named, <laughs> but, but like an actual, you know, people still get those apparently. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I just didn't have the lung capacity to really get up and do my usual movement. And uh, so I, I, I lost the streak, unfortunately, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I've got my next streak going. And so Really, uh, out of the last seven months, only one day, that one day, I didn't hit 5,000 steps. My average is actually more like 8,800. But this, by having this CMG, this can't miss goal, and mm -hmm. then having a way, the little cheap way to keep myself accountable with this little Garmin Vivo fit means that I, I've been much more consistent in sticking with it. Okay. I actually had to give up wearing watches like that. I, uh, I, had, I had the really expensive, nicer Garmins and stuff like that. And it was, uh, I got them, my friend gave me one as a hand-me-down originally. Yep. And I've gone through like the Microsoft version when they have the Microsoft band and okay. Garmin and I think two others. It turns out that apparently uh, those lasers burn my skin. I, I have I a permanent that. scar under my watch. So this is a standard non-smart watch. No, this is a G-Shock. So okay. It's the only brand I've ever had where I, I didn't kill it within a few days usually. Okay, that's this interesting. One, this one's actually their G-Shock Mud. It's designed for doing like obstacle course races and stuff because I do those. Okay, but I, If I have a nice watch, I am not wearing it on an obstacle course race. Like the idea sounds attractive, like rugged enough to handle the, the toughest obstacle course in the world. I, I have field tested this multiple times in Prove. I actually have a, another race com or another event coming up in a week and a half. Yep. Okay. Tough Mudder Seattle is coming up on the 25th, I believe. <laughs> and so I'll nice. be there doing the 10 or 12 mile run, whatever it is. And yep. yeah, these things take it. But the smartwatches, the lasers actually burned my skin. Okay. How about that? It's, it's a weird this thing, one's, right? This one's not that smart, um, the Vivo Fit. And I, I deliberately, again, I wanted it to be simple. I don't want a super expensive fancy watch. I just wanted one that gave me an impetus to get up and move. And and really, that's that's what it's done for me. I like the garments. I think they make a really good quality product. It's just 
Yeah, change if, the battery twice a year. If it was only if it was only Garmin, I, I might have just switched brands. But since I burned my wrist with like four different brands, I was like, okay, I just got to give that up. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're talking. We'll go back on target here, but I always like to ask because you know it gives people good ideas what they can do, right? It's a yeah, practical absolutely. gifts. Do men struggle with body body dysmorphia as much as we seem to think women do? That's a good question. I don't know if it would be as significant as women do because as of the pressure is increasing on men to look mm-hmm. a certain way. It's been pushed by the bodybuilding industry. And I say as men, sometimes we're, we're basically presented with two options. You're either Homer Simpson, which is a lovable doofus who's overweight and, you know, has no self-control mm-hmm. or, you know, you're Rambo, well, I guess that's dating me, but you know, <laughs> you know, Fair that, play. That, was Fair what play. I, that, that, that was what I grew up with though, right? You were, it was either you're this larger than life or it could be the rock, mm-hmm. you know, this larger than life, hyper-masculine super shredded muscular figure or you're this kind of fat out of shape lovable doofus and it's like where where's kind of the realistic in between so i I do think that men experience body dysmorphia and that is like a a kind of a dissatisfaction or maybe delusion is not the right word but essentially uh, a sense of they're not who they could be or should be or they they see themselves as something that they're not and it is influenced heavily by the media that we consume and I, I really want people to understand that what you see on social media, I mean, we say this, it sounds so cliche, but it's like, let it sink in that this is a highlight reel. And that's really why, why I named my podcast Wellness Unplugged. It's like, it's about disconnecting from that fake glitz and talking about the real human struggle. I don't look like a fitness model. I look a lot slimmer than I did when I was 330 pounds. But when I tried to look like a fitness model, like it was so uncomfortable and difficult to maintain that way of living that it oh, was yeah. no longer practical. I got other priorities. I'm not trying to maintain a shredded physique year round and it didn't make me any happier. People, people don't seem to understand. Uh, social media has really clouded. I think our vision of what health looks like. Yes. But they do not understand how many social media, like people who do full-time social media, you, you see it leak in the mood and the news every now and then when a famous person, like someone touches up their photos or whatever, and yeah. they have a problem with it. Right. But that's about the only time. You, but people who do like full-time influencer stuff, man, they yeah. touch up their folders. They, they Photoshop everything. Yeah. Bodybuilders, they look good that good for like two days at a time. Yep. People don't understand the hell they put themselves through. To get the there. The 12 weeks before, besides all the workout all the time, but that 12-week slimming down process to be show ready is yeah. insanity. Well, the other aspects of it are, we pretend it doesn't exist, but of course, they, they all run some kind of performance enhancing substances. Mm-hmm. Why? Because if you want to be competitive, it's the only way to be competitive. But we often think that like steroid use is only among like the sort of the super um, huge mass monsters. Your average like shredded fitness influencer is just running lower doses. Mm-hmm. Like I was involved in this industry, not as a model, but I was involved in the supplement and bodybuilding industry. They run lower doses because they want a little more, quote unquote, realistic looking physique. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't necessarily want to be so huge. But in order to maintain that ripped, shredded, to get that lean and maintain the level of muscularity you see, you oh, can't yeah. do that without running steroids. That's the reality of it. This is not me creating any judgment around their choices, the substance they put in their body. Mm-hmm. It's me talking about the reality of it. I was in business with a, quote unquote, natural bodybuilder. 
I know how the game works. <laughs> like, so, but ultimately, here's the thing. The, the concept is, if you look like this, you'll be happy. And that's garbage. That's garbage. Some of the most like dissatisfied, unhappy um, people I've ever met are ones that, that look like they're this in this ridiculously amazing physical condition. They're hypercritical. They're never big enough, never lean enough, never vascular enough. Not to mention, they're not nearly as healthy as you would think. Oh, no. Arteries are getting lined with plaque and cholesterol um, because of high blood pressure, because they're trying to maintain a blood supply to that level of muscle. Like, there's a reason there's kind of an upper, a natural upper limit to the amount of muscle that we can carry on a frame. And it's because our heart can only handle pumping blood to so much before it has to ramp up the blood pressure, start damaging the blood vessels, and creating little micro clots that one day are going to break off and give you strokes. Well, and under the hood, people don't seem to understand those guys aren't just taking steroids. Okay. Yeah. Steroids, like one of the 40 substances yeah. they're taking, right? They're taking uh, est estrogen suppressors. They're taking mm -hmm. thermogenics. They're taking, I mean, there's just a cocktail. Uh, thermogenics, yep. They'll be taking SIRMs, uh, which is selective estrogen receptor modulators, right. Uh, right? Which will be estrogen blockers. Um, they'll be taking um, cutting drugs. Mm -hmm. They'll be taking uh, drugs to help them. Uh, dehydrate. Now to get show ready, you also have to go through like a water loading and then water depletion phase to get mm -hmm. that sort of paper thin skin look. Um, people have, like men have died of heart attacks from yep. this because, you know, or of kidney failure. Yeah. It's but, not, it's not so much just the steroids that are killing these guys. No. It's, it's the giant mog top cocktail of crap in the system <laughs> yeah. that is killing yeah. people. It's not stero yeah. steroids on their own, right? Men use testosterone therapy all the time. Absolutely do just fine. It's when you add this cocktail of substances to achieve that. Do you, uh, I don't know how much you follow entertainment. You see Henry Cavell yeah, talked right. about that scene for the Witcher. He dehydrated for three days for that yeah. one bathtub scene that every woman in the world loved to see to look yeah. like that. He decided he dehydrated for three days. Yeah, the stuff these guys put them through, I mean, like, I, I joke what huge jacked man. Like, <laughs> uh, look, I, I don't mind the guy, right? Good guy. Mm -hmm. Seems like a really down-to-earth, very nice guy devoted to his wife, that kind of thing, which is unusual for, for Hollywood. So believe me, I think he's a good human being. Mm -hmm. But you, you watch his career as Wolverine, like his trajectory as Wolverine, you know, 15 years older and more jacked and shredded. Oh yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just like the veg. It wasn't just like the broccoli and chicken and the, the workout regimen, oh, right? Look, look at Crim's, Chris Hemsworth with every Thor yep. movie. He just gets more and more huge. But that's the pressure that's put on them as well. You have to look bigger than life. And so they have to go through these insane regimens to try to get there. And these, these are multimillionaire like actors who have personal trainers, personal chefs, like their entire life is dedicated to trying to look like this. And it's still incredibly difficult. So make no mistake, when I talk about um, steroid use, I am not diminishing the hard work of like men who who put themselves through this because you still have to put in the work. You don't just take oh, steroids yeah. and grow. You they What it does is it allows them to work far beyond what is a natural human capacity. Right. It allows them to grow far beyond a natural human capacity. But they also develop a very disordered relationship with food. In the off season, they often get extremely overweight because they're quote unquote eating to grow, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so on. So I'm bulking. For the last 15 yeah. years. Right. It's just this very, very unhealthy way of living. And it's not realistic. 
it's not a knock on bodybuilders. Like there's some that I, old meatheads that I follow that I, that I respect their intelligent yeah. this you know, these guys aren't dumb. We have some PhD level scientists who are running this stuff, but sometimes the smartest guys think that because they're so smart and they know the stuff so well that they can kind of outsmart their physiology. And it's like, you can't. Right. And then they die, die at like 52 and you go, what, or 49 and you go like, well, what happened there? Yeah. No, I, yeah. I got, I got nothing wrong with, I, I hate that steroids are illegal, that they demonize them because yeah. that just encourages they, people to do it recklessly. Yes. Agreed. Instead of having a doctor carefully overseeing the process. So Absolutely. I think it adds more danger to it. In Canada, they are decriminalized. Uh, I think the only thing that will get you dinged in Canada is possession of a, of a certain quantity that is makes it clear that you're a distributor. Yep. Possession, no issue. Now, see, in the U.S., there's still like a like class one felony. They're still up there with like crack. Who are we kidding here? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of like law enforcement that oh, yeah. <laughs> make use of this stuff. Well, and I, we again, don't talk about don't, it in the military, right? Oh, totally. And I don't blame them. Like, honestly, you're you're trying to prepare yourself to go into combat and hostile situations. Mm-hmm. Why would you not give yourself every advantage you could? Oh, I, I think I think we should be issuing it in the military. Honestly, it's like <laughs> yeah, you, you right, give like, those guys every edge you can give them. And yeah, do it controlled yeah. with supervision. Oh yeah, Let's so think of the budgets they have not killing them. Like why, why don't we just stop um, pretending to be so virtuous and say, look, <laughs> we're no, no, entirely accurate. I was just laughing at the thought. <laughs> yeah. Wait, well, you want to you want to stop pretending? We're we're all off on the up and up here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's like, and I think social media has driven this more as well, pretending to be like the, the to occupy like the moral high ground. <laughs> like and I, and I love that's why I love the name of your podcast like the fallible man just recognizing that like really there isn't a moral high ground and that's okay you know I, I wanted to be clear from the onset when people experience this is I, I'm not perfect I'm not even going to pretend I'm perfect I know that I am just like everybody else trying to find the right path trying to yeah. make my way and improve a little every single day uh, I, I wanted to make that perfectly clear because no right. one is ever going to listen to you. And that, that's what kills me about social media is no one's going to listen to you if you pretend to occupy the moral high ground all the time. Yeah. If you pretend yeah. you're perfect, you don't have problems, you're not – nobody wants to talk to you. You know what's interesting is my coaching practice really grew when I started talking about my own struggles. I thought it would sink my coaching practice mm-hmm. because I saw what other people were putting up on social media, particularly on Instagram, which I'm not super active on Instagram because it is a highly visual platform. But I saw people were putting up and I was like, how do I compete with that when I don't look like these fitness models? What's going to happen when people find out that, yes, I've lost a bunch of weight, but I, I don't have this perfect, flawless physique. Turns out that people are like, oh my gosh, you're human. People you like get real it. people. Yeah. You've been through this struggle. You have the scars. And I was like, oh, oh, people like other humans. And so just like you say, like you're going on this journey of bettering yourself and of growing and improving. And you're taking people with you. You're like, I don't want to, and heck, I don't even want to do this alone. Let's do this yeah. with other people. Come with me on this journey of growth and development. It's a lot better with a brotherhood than it is by yourself. Right. It's, and it's a lot more achievable to yeah. have that accountability. And, and I like yeah. the word you, I like the word that you use brotherhood over tribalism. Uh, I'm not a big fan. I, I think that's being, the concept of tribalism is being uh, used incorrectly most of the time, as far as I'm concerned. So I like it's been hijacked. I like brotherhood yeah. a lot better. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about emotional eating because it's something we don't want to pretend we do. But God, <laughs> yeah. I will tell you, like, I mean, 
last night, I told you I was live streaming last night and like the audio, I don't know what happened, but like I, I just, I burned both videos. As soon as live stream was over, I just deleted both of them off Facebook and off YouTube because the audio was so bad. I don't want that to be people's impression of what I'm, the content I'm creating. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm not going to pretend I, I didn't go and like pour me a drink and just like, you know, eat ice cream and junk like that. Cause like it takes so it, much out of me to do a live stream. As yeah. You genuinely felt like distressed. Yeah. I, I used to be a minister and you know, Sunday morning, there is so much energy to be, to have people listen to you and actually want to listen to you doing it live. You have to bring so much energy with you and presence that you're just exhausted afterwards. And so getting to the end <laughs> yeah. of it and finding out that, that the audio was just trash, was just like, yeah, <sighs> bourbon and ice cream. Woohoo. Yeah. So yeah. So that, that, that was like, and a lot of that is what we call like um, changing the channel in your head. So there's, you're feeling something that's uncomfortable. And in that moment, you don't feel like you have the capacity to feel what you're feeling. And so you opt to artificially change what's happening in your head. Um, that's both what, what alcohol um, will do as will junk food. Junk food is engineered to elicit a dopamine response in your brain. So it's, it's engineered to trigger a specific response. So both of those will temporarily change the channel in your head. That's not always a bad thing. Because, I mean, there's a reason why food gets used the way it does. Because it's cheap, it's accessible. And if we can look at that behavior is solving a problem. Now, as a long-term behavior, the ramifications of repeating that pattern of behavior are not good, right? right? But, so it is a slippery slope. So I don't want to necessarily say this is an endorsement of your behavior. Yeah. This is not an indictment of your behavior either. I, I did it. I'm not endorsing it at all. So <laughs> Absolutely. But it's just a recognition that this, is a, this behavior is an attempt to solve a problem. It's like you're dealing with like just just feeling really bummed out about something you've poured a lot of your energy into and, and you're in this place of being emotionally drained and uh, that can help shift the channel in your head temporarily. For me, it was binge eating. And really, I'd say binge eating is kind of uh, essentially an uncontrolled eating episode in a short window of time. To, to really fit into the definition of binge eating disorder, it's going to be a behavior that's showing up at least once a week over a pattern of a few months kind of thing. So you can see there's this repeated pattern of behavior. What's going on here is it's, again, something you're feeling something really, really uncomfortable, you know, and binge eating is a way to try to smother that emotion, try to bury it in food and so much food that like, it's not going to come back up. But the problem is once you digest the food, it is going to come back up. And just to be clear, there is a difference between overeating, emotional eating and binge eating. But I would say like binge eating, emotional eating um, binge eating uh, does have elements of emotional eating and overeating in it, but it's like a more more extreme. You'll see other things like eating in secret, eating when you're already like uncomfortably full, or if you try to eat like perfectly in public and pretend that you're this virtuous eater. That's one of the things that I would do. And then in private, I'm eating a pizza in my car in a parking lot kind of thing. And then there's cognitive distortions in our head that create like an exaggerated view of of reality. So. If you're struggling with something like this, step one, don't beat yourself up. <laughs> if that was going to work, it would have worked already. If you struggle with some kind of, uh, where you feel a little bit out of control um, around food, take a couple steps back. And prior to that episode, what happened? In your case, 
hey, something really devastated happened, right? You you, you lost a, a part of your heart and soul, something you worked really hard for, something you're deeply passionate about. And so like compassionate awareness is really, really important because like, awareness itself is already a good step. We have a number of our behaviors that run on autopilot, right? They run in the back of our brain. Mm-hmm. But if we can make ourselves aware of these patterns of behavior and be be willing to be uncomfortable and, and address them um, with compassion, that becomes the place for change. So I have a little acronym. It's called FAST. It stands for feel, acknowledge, accept, speak, and time. So let's just say we'll, we'll use your example of, you know, you had a couple of episodes that end up going down the drain. One is feel. So what are you feeling? Where are you feeling it in your body? Because chances are you can feel it somewhere in your body. Could you put a shape to it, a size to it, a color? Just kind of tune into it. Sit with that uncomfortable feeling. Because feelings are kind of like a check engine light. They exist for a reason. They give us, they're giving us an indication that something needs our attention. Acknowledge or accept is really just about making peace with the fact that you have this uncomfortable emotion and something isn't wrong. Uh, speak is about trying to put words to it, whether you're in writing or out loud. Like you could, you know, go to your wife and say, hey, this is what I'm feeling right now. And <laughs> I'm like, just saying that, like, how many, I wonder how many men are like, yeah, right. I'd never do that. <laughs> you know how powerful it is when you go to your wife and you go, hey, this is where I'm at right now. And actually, all I want you to do is listen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> She's going to be just about eating out of the palm of your hand. Not quite, you know, but they're going to be like, what happened to this guy? You know, I thought when I did that, that my wife was going to treat me like this weakling, like this loser, whatever. Like, yes, there's a time and a place to, to be a strong masculine figure by all means. But like, you know, my wife, when I finally like started talking to her about my struggles, she became like my biggest supporter and cheerleader. It was, and it brought us closer together, you know. Uh, and then T is time. So we've got feel, accept, acknowledge, speak, and then time. Time is just the recognition that usually the most intense part of any urge or impulse is going to last less than 10 minutes. If you can put 10 minutes between yourself and the decision to act, at that point, you're now making a mindful decision. And after 10 minutes, maybe you don't want to make that choice. Maybe you don't want to have that glass of bourbon. Maybe you don't want to have that tub of ice cream. Or maybe you just have one or the other, you know? And so it, it's really about developing this resilience or this ability to sit with uh, an uncomfortable feeling. I, I almost just want to like you know, drop the mic right there. Uh, <laughs> that that yeah. process alone is is a lot to take in. Yeah. So what I want to do is shift gears a little bit, and you have your podcast, but let's talk about where people can get in touch with you, where people Absolutely. can find you, because I think that is really important at this point. So this is your website. Yeah. Tell us about it. It is freedomnutritioncoach.com and it's actually going to undergo a bit of an overhaul so i've just actually hired a copywriter to help me update some of what i've written on there because how i work with people has evolved even in the last year so now i focus on a lot of what i call brain driven weight loss and it's not really i feel like i'm I'm sharing this because i think it's not as accurately reflected on the website as I'd, i'd like it to be so brain driven weight loss is kind of a term that i've coined to shine a light on the fact that what yes what we eat and how we how we're active like dictate or influence our weight and our health it's our brain that drives the decision making in our actions so a lot of efforts to create change they take this outside in approach mm-hmm. while they fail to acknowledge our our internal environment so our emotions our mindset our psychology and our habits these are the things that actually most powerfully influence our behaviors and ultimately our our results and so if we want to create permanent weight loss, because that's my goal is to help people lose weight for good. We actually have to create 
permanent change. And we can only create permanent change by establishing a new pattern of behaviors, habits, a sense of identity. And all of this takes place in the brain. Our brain has this really incredible property called neuroplasticity, and that's the brain's ability to rewire itself. So that's what Lifestyle 180 is. Lifestyle 180 is my flagship program. And it's really about working with our brain, the way our brain works, and helping each individual reverse engineer their own healthy lifestyle. And when I work with somebody, it's not about me dictating what they do. This is a collaborative effort towards a common goal. So I treat the person I'm working with as an expert of their own life and their own life experience. And I'm an expert in nutrition and psychology. Together, they're going to take, because if all I did was dictate what they were to do, at the end of working together, what happens when I'm gone? They're going to go back into their old habits. So I'm going to empower people to have an active role in this process instead of feeling like this passive observer who's just following orders. Wait, wait, wait. You you want me to actually be active and, and take part in this? I, you're not just going to write me a program and I, I actually yes. have to do something. Yes, <laughs> that's the key. I call it empowering you. I'm just I'm just clarifying because there are a lot of people who want to write you a program and think that yeah. somehow that works. So. I hate to say this, but lazy coaches will do that. I'll hand you a program, follow the program. And when we check in, you're going to tell me why you did or didn't follow that. That's not coaching. That's not empowering. Because when I work with somebody, there's going to, it's a finite amount of time. I'm not going to work with them for the rest of their life. Chances are, I have worked with some people for up to two years and even beyond two years because they, they just, they continue to want to work with me, but there is going to come an end to the time that we work together. And when that time comes, I don't want to part from that person's life. And for them to just fall back into old habits because I was the force that was that was creating the change. I want them to be empowered and them to actually be the force for change in their life. I'm the guide. Can I ask you about Crush Your Cravings, your PDF book? <laughs> you can. So Crush Your Cravings is my uh, short guide. It's about 25 pages where we're going to talk about FAST. So I'll break a little bit, break that down in a little bit more detail. That's the acronym um, for overcoming difficult urges. I'll show you how to kind of sleep your way to a lower weight, um, how to eat in a certain rhythm to optimize your metabolic function as well. And so, so my clients, and I'll, I'll tell you a couple of client stories in there as well, because I want to show a little bit of proof in the pudding that I'm not just someone who says nice things, but I actually have uh, the proof to back up. Like I have the client successes to back up what I'm going to tell you. And that really lends weight to it. Now, I will say, Crush Your Cravings, this version of it that I've done is really geared towards a female audience. That doesn't mean the information is not relevant for men, um, but the color scheme is a little bit more geared towards a female audience because 90% of my clientele are female. <laughs> and uh, so that's, uh, I don't want to scare men away from um, having a look at it because there's a pink cover on the book. I saw the donut on the front. I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But really, yeah, it's... it's um, in a nutshell, uh, if you were to implement the things, just the things that I put into this book here, uh, I think you would be very successful in your in your weight loss journey. And this is a download. That's what I understand. It, it is. Right? So you got to drop your name and your email in there, um, and then I'll, I'll email it to. You. I say I'll email it to you. It's an email autoresponder because obviously I can't monitor that twenty four hours a day. And if, when, when you want to, you're going to sign up. You want you want to get in your hands. Uh, I also created a, a vanity URL, which is freedomnutrition.rocks slash crush your cravings. And so for those who are listening who might not see the link, uh, you can go there and that'll take you to the, the download page. Say that again. Let's make sure people hear it. freedomnutrition.rocks slash crush your cravings. All one word with no spaces. All right, yeah. guys. Get the pink donut. It's important. Yeah. 
Hey, the I, pink donut that could change your life. We're we're not in Portland, but you know we're close enough to Voodoo Donuts. I'll make some references, right? There you go. Oh man! So what is next for John McLernan? Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue. Like the podcast is relatively new. Wellness Unplugged is relatively new. So I'm, I really want to grow that um, because I think it's it's a it's the way that I love to communicate. Clearly, I don't mind talking, and I love I love conversations with other people. I like to say that nutrition is the cover story, just like weight loss. When people come to me and they say they want to lose weight, that's their cover story. Mm-hmm. And nutrition is my cover story. So I think the work that I do encompasses more than just like telling you what to eat and how to eat and stuff like that. It's really like a work of helping people completely transform their lives. And so somewhere in the future, I have this idea. I call it the um, Superhero Wellness Academy. And it's going to be a service where People will come in and normally it work, the way it would work is you come to a coaching program and you get assigned a coach that looks like the best fit for you. But it's like, what if you have a movement specialist who specifically works on you and your movement patterns and the injuries you might have and so on? What if you have a gut health specialist who then creates a plan specific to like improving your gut health and your digestion? And you've got a life coach who works with any sort of mindset obstacles and hurdles and so on. And then you have like a, a head coach who just kind of oversees all of that and coordinates all of that for you. It would basically be impossible to fail. And to fail to get to your optimal health. And so, uh, and actually I've just recently connected with a neuro coach. So one who trains your brain to be smarter and mm-hmm. more optimized. So there's, there's some really exciting possibilities here, but I would say this idea is still in its infancy. It's, it's, I love having these big ideas, but it will probably take some time to put it to fruition, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to patiently go on this journey and say, I have this bigger vision I'm working towards. And when the timing is right, it will come to fruition. So, so instead of Superman, you get the whole justice league at your back. There you go. <laughs> I like it. No, I like it. It's a kind of a, it sounds like you're thinking about a one-stop shop where you get a coach, but then you have the input of these other coaches to help put the pieces together. People, Absolutely. people tend to miss the idea that, Nutrition and fitness is not about one thing. Yeah. It's It's, several things coming together. It is. And the truth is, like, I'm an expert in a couple of areas. There's a lot of areas I'm not an expert in. And I'm okay recognizing that. Not everybody who listens to this is going to be my ideal client or going to be the the right fit to work with me. That's okay. Sometimes this idea in the fitness and nutrition and wellness and the coaching world that we're in competition with each other. I'm like, no, we're not. I do what I do and nobody else does that. But there's things that I don't do that somebody else does. And if we could bring together like the best of each of these categories, mm-hmm. man, that I just think it'd be almost, I'd like to call them like fail proof transformations. <laughs> like you've got, you've got a life coach, a brain trainer, a gut health coach and a movement specialist. Like how do you not succeed? <laughs> mm, the one missing piece you can't control the clients. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people who, uh, say they'd like to achieve certain goals, but man, when the rubber meets the road, that's where most people lose it. Yep. Now, sometimes that's because we try to swallow the elephant whole and it's too overwhelming and we don't have the resources because the way that we actually create change is very different than the way that we imagine in our brain. So let's say we have this idea. We start thinking, okay, I'm going to transform my health. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to feel great. I'm going to look great and so on. And your brain starts to reward you with dopamine because you're picturing it in your head. Your brain starts to reward you like you've already accomplished that. Mm-hmm. Now you've done nothing, but that dopamine surge feels really good. So now we mistake that for motivation. 
really what I call it is it's like the biological push to get us over our resistance to change. That gets us the needed momentum to get started. But if you're going to keep going, you have to have a very strong reason why you want this. Otherwise, you, you will fail. Because our primal biology is very strong and it wants us to remain comfortable. And so uh, there's like this dynamic tension between your primal nervous system that wants you to be comfortable and wants you to avoid pain. Then you're your soul, the part of that makes you really human, the part that longs for growth and development and betterment. And the two are fighting with each other because growth is always going to be uncomfortable. Change will always be uncomfortable. But if you have an emotionally compelling reason, a powerful reason why you want this, for example, I look at my son, my heart is filled with love. Mm -hmm. And I go, this is why I do this. I want to be active and present in his life. I do not want to be a sideline dad who sits on the couch and says, I can't get on the floor and play with my kid. I want to roll around with him. I want to wrestle with him. I want to run after him. I want to be physically present in his life. That, that overrides anything else. I still have the urges to binge eat. I still have the urges to overeat. They're still there. I deal with them. I navigate them differently. And my son is like the biggest reason for why I keep going on this journey. Guys, let me harp on that. You've heard it said a hundred times on this podcast. Why? Why? You have to get your why if you're going to move forward with the rest of your life. Yeah. Whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, whether it's your fitness, whether it's developing your career, you have to find your why. John, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today and joining us. Guys, we have unpacked a lot today, and I want you to go over and check out John's podcast. Okay, he said he's starting out, but you know what? Go out, show him some love, and hear what he's got to say, because guys, I won't endorse many people, but John honestly wants to help you. So go check out his podcast, see what he's talking about, be a part of the community, get to know him. And who knows, it may be the conversation that starts changing your life for the better. Be better tomorrow because of what you do today, and we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.